Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of V Brown Bag. Tonight, uh, we are very excited to have uh, Sean and Kelly on. Um, so we are going to be continuing our episodes on Python, where we level up and learn skills with the best in the business, i.e. Sean and Kelly. Um, so I met Sean and Kelly at PyCon uh, a little while back, and I somehow harangued them into coming onto V Brown Bag and doing an episode with us. Um, and one of the things that they love talking about on their podcast, um, Sean, Kelly, what's, what's the name of the podcast again? Please, please uh, advertise. Thanks. Sure. Teaching, teaching uh, Python. Awesome. If if Sorry. you uh, if you if you Google teaching Python on your favorite podcaster, I highly recommend subscribing to and listening to that. They've got some really good tips and tricks on how to um, not just jam Python into your brain, but um, uh, all all kinds of uh, good teaching teaching tricks. Um, so with that, uh, tonight's episode is learning and teaching Python with Sean and Kelly. Um, but first, a couple of housekeeping notes. Get in on the conversation. Uh, if you at V Brown Bag or hashtag V Brown Bag, both me and my lovely new co-host, Joe Hughes. Hello, Joe. Howdy. How's it going? We have a, a brand new V Brown Bag host, Joe Hughes, um, uh, attending for the first time tonight. We are, we are going on his maiden voyage. We are very excited to have him along. Um, both Joe and I will be monitoring the Tweetosphere. We will also be listening to the live audience for Q&A um, and asking questions of Sean and Kelly. Uh, this is not a Stump the Chump episode. This is a, a time where we all hang out, have, have good fun, and learn how to learn. Um, so again, our guests this evening are Sean and Kelly. Uh, my name is Chris, and we also have Joe with us. Um, you can follow Sean at SM Tibor. Uh, Sean Tibor? Tibor? Tiger, yeah, rhymes with tiger. Nice, very well. And uh, Kelly is at Kelly Parrot. I'm at Mistwire, and Joe Hughes is at J Hughes, H-O-U-G-H-E-S. All right, so without any further ado, Sean, I am turning over the power to you. Is that correct? Yep, I'll take it. All right, sir, you have the power. All right. Let me uh, fire this up. Okay, so welcome everyone. My name is Sean Tiber, and I'm joined by my lovely podcast co-host, uh, Kelly Schuster-Brader. Uh, say hi, Kelly. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> Did, were you guys practicing nice. that? Is that practice? No, this is how we, this is how we uh, constantly roll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tonight, tonight we're talking about learning and teaching Python. So a little bit uh, before we get to start, just a little bit of detail about who we are and why you should believe us. Um, so I'm going to introduce Kelly, and then she's going to introduce me, and we're making this up on the fly. So I'm excited to, uh, and a little terrified to hear how she's going to describe me. But um, my lovely and talented teaching partner, Kelly Schuster Paredes, is a middle school computer science teacher like myself, um, and her specialty is education and curriculum design. So if you're not familiar with education lingo, that means she is really good at designing the best ways for people to learn new information and new content. Um, it is her first year coding. In fact, I met Kelly about a year ago, and she was just coming out of her initial funk on, I'm not going to learn Python, but they're making me do it anyways, right? And I can tell you, not to spoil anything, but her attitude has dramatically changed since then, and now she's teaching me all sorts of stuff about Python that I didn't know, which has been a really cool experience. Um, but the thing she schools me the most on is, is teaching. She's got 20 plus years of teaching experience. And as I mentioned before, we talk about teaching and Python and coding 
on our podcast uh, called Teaching Python. We just launched it in December, and I think there's about 25 episodes out there now for your um, backlog on your podcaster to check out. Um, Kelly's from uh, Florida originally, and she's taught all over the world. So she has a really broad view of what teaching entails and what um, is best for, what the best ways for students to learn um, should be. So Kelly, I'm gonna turn it over to you to introduce me. That was really good. So um, <laughs> let's see if I can do just as, as, as good justice for you as well. So this is Sean Tiber. Wow, I met Sean Tiber when he came to our school to interview and to do his first demo lesson as a newbie, uh, teaching newbie off the streets. And he came in and he completely floored us with his, his attitude to teaching, his attitude about learning and how he communicated with the kids. So he is my, my co-teacher in the middle school computer science um, arena. And this is his first year teaching. He's going into his second year and I told him now everything down, is downhill and it's a piece of cake, nothing to worry about. He, <laughs> he transferred from an IT digital marketing um, career where I think he still kind of dabbles. He definitely helps, helps me to market, um, market myself to the kids because that's always important to make sure that we keep them interested. And he's from Alaska. And every time he meets somebody from Alaska, he wants to join, put them into a private club with the Alaskans. He had a uh, PyCon meetup with a bunch of Alaskan people, and he can tell you more about that later. Oh, and he can sew, which kind of he rubs into my face, I think, because his, no, I'm just kidding. He can sew, which is great. He is a jack of all trades and just a fun person to be around. <laughs> Sorry, was that good? <laughs> that, that was fantastic. That was that was the two best introductions I've ever seen of, of anybody on here. We should, <laughs> we should start doing that more often, have somebody introduce somebody else. That's a great idea. It's, nice. it's all part of the teaching plan. <laughs> well, so, so now that we've got the introductions out of the way, um, we're going to go into one of my favorite acronyms from my past life in, in marketing. Um, and marketing is all about trying to convince people to do something they wouldn't otherwise do, right? And this, out, uh, uh, this abbreviation, WHOGAS, stands for who gives a shit or who gives a stuff. I don't know if this is a PG-13 rated podcast, but I'm going with it. It's not. So, <laughs> not at all. So why? So what's the why for this? Who should care about this? So if you've ever said, I want to blank, or if I knew how to blank, then I could do blank instead, or this would be so much better if I could just blank, then you have a need-based reason for learning, right? So you have a need for learning. And that's something that many of us, I think when I, when I think back about my own schooling, wasn't always the case, right? So let's talk about that a little bit, right? Like what we're going to get into, like why is this need-based learning important, okay? So here's what we're going to cover today. And what we're gonna talk about is first, our philosophy about teaching and learning and why this idea of need-based learning and connecting your learning is so important. So we're gonna break down our pedagogy, which is our teaching and learning philosophy. We're gonna share our super efficient, oh wait, no, that's ready, not, not ready yet. Like we came up with this really cool, like super efficient <laughs> algorithm that's gonna change the world. We're all gonna get rich from it, like, and we'll share it with you as soon as it's ready. But until then, we're gonna share with you a personal learning plan template. So a way to, you know, one way that you can make your learning plan more personal and more relevant to your learning. 
Awesome. We're going to give you some hacks to make your learning better and faster, not harder. And then we're going to introduce you to the power of reflection in your learning. Okay. So Kelly, I'm turning this over to you um, to cover how learning has changed um, from maybe the way we all remember it when we were back in school. Yeah, there's been a, a lot of um, investigation and experiments with learning and how to step it up and really teach to the learner. If you recall back when you were in middle school or high school or if even in college, it was a, a pure memorization, testing, recall, teacher at the front of the room. We, we, we learned in independent subjects. Everything was exercise-based or homework-based. And it was, you're going to learn this because we said it's important. I remember them telling me I had to learn metrics because one day the United States is going to go full on metrics. Never happened. But now it's, it's this acquiring knowledge. Now the students, uh, learners, they have access to information at their fingertips. So the idea of them being the knowledge getters versus the knowledge receivers is now a focus. And it's a testing of, for, um, and as understanding, not just for a recall. And we're trying to do more of an integrated disciplines because we all know when you get out of your silos, you can make connections to what's really happening in the real world. And that stems from a project base. You know, how are we going to solve a problem? And, and that then turns into a 20% kind of idea of why do I want to use it? Why do I want to learn this? What can I do to make my connections to it? And it becomes a more of an individualized, personalized learning adventure for both young and older, <laughs> older uh, learners. And that's, that's what's really changed. That's that need-based learning, right? So I spent some time working in higher education, especially for adult learners. Um, and this has kind of flowed backwards when we look at, you know, what ad adult learners need and how they're motivated. That actually is very effective for youth as well. So being able to connect your learning to some higher order purpose or some reason for learning something is highly motivating and results in better outcomes for learning as well. Because now students, regardless of their age, have a need for their learning. They're not just there because they're told to be, they're there because they want to be and because they have a, a reason for learning it. So that really changes the game when it comes to learning. And we're gonna talk more about that as we get into our template. Okay. So we're gonna talk about our philosophy, right? This is the pedagogy of teaching and learning. And these are wait, some- Wait, wait, we have to interject, Chris. Oh, what does pedagogy mean? <laughs> Oh my gosh! There, seriously, you. So, so the, the joke was is that there was going to be exam after this, and I was waiting for the exam afterwards. You, you can't hit me up right in the middle of this. It's very, it's, it's very important to always check for understanding. So go ahead, Sean. Sorry. <laughs> this was <Right>. knees based. <laughs> the study of learning, the way that people learn, and. So as we're going to go through what Kelly and I have come to believe as our per, our individual philosophy. Our combined individual philosophy. Yeah, we've been, spent a lot of time talking through this. So true learning comes from multiple sources. It's not the, the chump in the front teaching the class as the only person who knows what's going on and knows the information. When your students can pull out their phone underneath the table and 
you know, instantly fact check what you're telling them, that's a, a really powerful tool for them to really understand, is this the truth or is this the best way to learn this? Um, and the, the flip side of this is that the, the best learning is earned from failure. So if you learn, if you try something and it doesn't work, you learn more from that failure sometimes than you do from the success. Most of the time you learn more from the failure. So our role as teachers is to make that failure a supported experience and help students understand the risks of failure and choose the places where they can fail safely or productively towards uh, acquiring knowledge. And this happens also as in the adult world of just building that learning culture. Um, allowing mistakes to happen, obviously at a lesser cost in, in, in the company, but just giving that opportunity for experimentation. And, and Google has honed that in really well. And it's something that um, has proven to be very successful. Right, and, and knowing when you can't fail too, right? So if you're doing manned space flight uh, you know, as your mission, then failure is not an option, right? So you have to design very differently when failure is not an option versus when it's a valuable part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna turn the next one over to you. So we, we all know that everyone learns at a different pace and that's what's really amazing. I, I definitely have a different pace of learning than Sean. I need constant reinforcement. I need what's called an individualized learning um, plan for myself. And that's something that we like to, to have as an opportunity for every learner, whether it's an adult learner or a sixth grade learner or a, one of our children who's in you know, K kindergarten. It's something that allows that freedom to dig deep or to skim as long as that learning is taking place. Right, and you know, the, the speed at which you get there is not as important as what you learn or how like how valuable that learning is to the student. If someone has a breakthrough in their learning and it takes them three weeks to get there, that's much more valuable than someone who got to, you know, the right, the same information in two days, but it wasn't as much of a, a breakthrough for them. So we're looking at what's the quality of the experience, what's the quality of the outcome that they're getting, not how fast did they get there. And that's, that's a, very, um, a very cool thing to see as a teacher. Uh, Follow-up question to that? Yes. So um, d does that speak to the, so a, a lot of, uh, one of the questions that we're seeing is, is uh, code katas, um, the, the, uh, the, the sweating and grinding through of, of the code. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of different websites that have these, these code, basically snippets that you work through in there and, and I've heard them called code katas. I don't know if you have a different wording for them, but it's basically like a little problem and then you have to use Python to then fix the problem and then you submit it and then it comes back either positive, you know, yay, you got it or, or boo, you didn't. And, and um, the, the question here is, so running through code katas and, and getting stuck on it is, is more valuable than, than just having it spoon fed to you? Yes, I agree. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to take it up on there. Um, I think that process of trying to recall information, that struggle where you're, you're still in the struggle of not giving up, um, but that still tr struggle of trying to piece together and work through the problem is more of a learning experience than just going and finding the solution. We all tend to click on the solution. That's one, one of the things that makes some courses not so beneficial is because the solution's right after the challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy just to click to the next to the next slide and see what the solution is. 
But if you don't give your time enough, if you don't give yourself enough time to struggle, to try to go through your, your long-term memory and, and even your short-term memory and try to get that information out, then you're not really learning. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you. Um, and actually kind of flows into our next point, which is that the learning experience now is owned by the student. The true ownership over the learning experience is the student's. Teacher, the teacher's role is not to force learning, right? It's not to like make the student learn no matter what. We're guides, we're coaches, we're here to help them get to that right answer. Because I, I can't tell you the number of times in that first year where I've sat next to a student and I've watched them work through the problem and watch them struggle through it. And I know the answer, right? Like, or I know an answer, one that I know would work. There's probably, and, and I've been surprised at how many different ways students can get to the right, to a correct answer in their own way using their own methodology that I never would have thought of, right? And that struggle to get there and that process of figuring it out and learning it and owning it is what really makes the deep learning experience happen. And so we're, we don't view ourselves as driving the learning forward. We are there to guide the students so that ultimately they're taking their own learning into their own hands and they're moving forward with it. And, and if you're a parent and if you have children in, in the K-12 years, you might have heard the personalized, personalized learning. Whereas individualized learning is allowing the, the, the learner to learn at their own pace, personalized learning not only allows them to learn at their own pace, but allows them some sort of choice. And that's something that Sean and I strongly feel that having that choice of what and where to learn really helps you to personalize the learning and make it and make it actively connect to your learning improvement <laughs> stick. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Question. So does this make it typically easier or more difficult for adults to learn as opposed to younger students when when you have, I guess, much more background to try and relate to? Uh, you know, I kind of go back to my garage door was broken the other day. What was the first thing that we do? We go to Google and we research how and what parts we need to buy. That is more of a personalized learning. I am not going to fix garage door openers all the time, but it was something that I wanted to do, I needed to do, and I was gonna look into it. So it just depends. I think children are, are actually becoming more comfortable with this type of learning. For us, it's that change of how we learn that maybe makes it uncomfortable, not necessarily the learning. Does that make sense, Sean? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I would say this this idea, I think one of the benefits we have as, as adult learners is that wealth of life experience that we have to draw upon and connect to, um, where we can talk about, you know, if I'm teaching adult learners, I can use different examples um, and shared experiences that each person can connect to, but each individual has their own personal history that they can connect this learning to. So, you know, Kelly can talk about repairing a garage door opener because she's had that experience and many other people have something like that. It doesn't have to be a garage door, it could be a garbage disposal or something else in their home, but that's very different than a 12 year old student who lives in a home but hasn't had to repair it or be responsible for the upkeep yet. So this, like, I think the adult learners in some ways have it easier, 
I think where kids have the benefit is that their minds are still highly plastic, right? So they can adapt and move and everything is new to them. So they don't have as many bad habits to unlearn. So there's a little bit of a, a unfair advantage on both sides. And that's what makes our next point about actively connecting to your learning. Um, that stickiness, that, that idea of making that learning stick happens when you can connect it to something. Um, as adults, we have more, like Sean just said, we have more things to connect to. So I will make random connections in order to remember um, a certain function in Python that kids might not understand. And then the next thing, and this is, I think, where adult learners really have the, this great focus. I'm always just amazed by this. I, I worked with um, nurses who were seeking higher education also. Um, and this was one of my, my past life roles. Um, true motivation comes from linking to a bigger, higher goal, right? And I was helping nurses go from having an associate's degree to adding on to that and getting a bachelor's degree, right? And when we asked them about like what they were looking for with their bachelor's degree, why they were doing this, because this is a multi-year process. It's a lot to take on, especially when you have all these other demands on your family. They didn't say, oh, I really want to get that transcript that has all my courses on it, or I really want that GPA, or I want the diploma on my wall. They wanted, they linked it to something else. I wanted to get, the, I want to get that promotion at work because I know I can do the bigger job that that this degree would qualify me for or i want to show my kids that i can take on something this big and and tackle it or i i need the pay raise because it will help me take care of my family yes we were highly pragmatic about it but it was never about just getting the diploma it was about that bigger goal and that enduring motivation to succeed came from linking to the bigger higher goal and, and for me, with a person that's new to Python, at first I was, my motivation came from, I'm going to learn this, this darn code and I'm going to do the best that I can. That motivation dies after, after you, you've hit a couple of brick walls and you just don't get it. So you need to find something else that, that is going to motivate you and help drag you through it. And that, that idea of finding, finding something, finding a project, finding Finding something that excites you, in my case, it's curriculum, so how can I use Python in order to enhance curriculum design is something that I've constantly kept in my, my, my mind as I'm learning each process. Oh, I can use this function to identify student users. I can use, to use this, this function in order to help me map out some, some grades. So that has now been my motivation for learning new things, and we're going to talk more about that later. Okay. All right. And finally, um, the last the last thing we talked about motivation and motivation comes in many different forms. And sometimes it's this raw, um, raw emotion, like I'm going to do this, I'm motivated, I'm going to get it done. And as Kelly mentioned, that can be hard to hold on to over the course of a long uh, learning plan or a long, uh, a bigger objective. What we've seen time and time again, is that persistence and discipline beats raw motivation all the time. Okay. It's the persistence to keep going, to never give up, that tenacity to pursue the problem and pursue the learning and, you know, finish that code kata that's been, you know, kicking your butt all week, right? 
but that persistence to not give up and when it doesn't work or it fails or you fall short, you pick yourself up and keep going, right? And have the discipline to do that over and over and over again in a smart way. Like we don't want you to be beating your head against the wall for months. Like get help, ask questions, Google things, find new ways to attack the problem, take a walk around the block, something like that. But persistence and discipline beats raw motivation any day of the week because motivation ebbs and flows as your life goes on. You know, you have that moment like maybe you know, your personal life is intruding on your per professional life and on your learning life. Like motivation ebbs and flows, but persistence is something that you can build and develop that will serve you towards reaching that bigger goal that you're motivated to, to achieve. All right. All right. So here's our template. And we're going to preface this by saying this is one way and this is just a template. You should take this template and modify it. So we are going to give you some worksheets that Kelly put together because, as I said, she is a master of curriculum design and designing learning plans and ways for people to learn. We're um, going to post that on our Teaching Python um, Twitter uh, account. We'll retweet it out so you can get it. Um, but we've put together a couple of Google Docs that encapsulate this for you. So the first thing is this template for learning. We believe strongly that templates and guides and methods are a great starting place for helping you organize your thoughts and follow a process for your learning. Like anything else, your learning is something that you can manage and you can improve and you can measure and you can show progress. So a template is a great way to make sure that you're thinking holistically about your learning. Okay, so Kelly, why don't you walk us through the list of the, uh, or the steps of the learning plan? Nope. Are you still there? Kelly, you still there? Hello? Marco? Kelly, we can see you. All right, well, well, while we're waiting for Kelly, I'll go through and, and share the template. Um, cool. so we start by defining your learning objective. So you need to have something that you're trying to learn and a reason for learning it, right? So whenever I am trying to learn something, I put out, here's what I'm trying to learn, here's why I need it. Um, if I don't have a strong reason for why I, I want to do it, it's likely not the best learning objective. You know, and a good example of this is, you know, I have a, a swimming pool. I've been building an IoT sensor that sits poolside and measures all of the, um, you know, all of the temperature of my pool and the wind speed and all that stuff. And the why is because I want to be able to tell my kids, yeah, we can go swimming tonight when we're, you know, sitting at a red light and I can see the temperature of the pool. That's something that I look, that I had as a need because it helps me spend better time with my kids, right? So, and I think it's just really cool. So for me, there was a lot of personal satisfaction in learning how to do all of these things, right? Second thing is identifying and selecting the best resources. And I'm gonna not go through all of them in detail, but um, identifying and selecting what are the best resources to learn this goal. And sketch it out. We have whiteboard surfaces everywhere in our classroom and markers everywhere to be able to sketch it out, to draw it out, to you know, block it out any way that works for you to start to visualize what this learning is going to entail. Then we reflect on that. We connect it to other parts, you know, connect the pieces together and identify maybe areas that, uh, that um, will need to be shored up or maybe places that we're missing. 
we chunk the problem or the ideas into smaller parts that are easier to learn and easier to integrate together. And then we evaluate that process overall. Am I missing anything? Is there anything I need to, to get going, right? Um, in, you know, in order to make this happen. Then I actually make it, right? So then, then we get into actually doing it. Like go make the thing, go learn the stuff, go do the thing that you need to do to learn this and then share it, right? Be accountable to someone else, whether that's Twitter, whether that's a friend in your department, your wife, your partner, um, your husband, whoever it is that you want to share this with, even if it's someone who doesn't know coding or doesn't understand, make sure you share with them, here's this thing that I just learned, or here's this thing that I just made and look what I learned from it. That sharing process is vital for kind of locking in that learning and making sure that you feel like it was a complete learning experience. And I'm back, sorry, I apologize. I'm not sure, and I just wanna iterate on, on this is a, the, a list, but it's not necessarily a stagnant, I, we have to follow this one, two, three, four. It, in any type of learning, there's always a, a loop feature, um, and you might have to go back in and iterate a step as you go. You see how I plugged in Python into that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is not a waterfall method. This is iterative design, right? Yeah. Um, you, may, you may be coming back to earlier steps over and over again, and especially if you're doing this well, you're kind of linking what you learn from one object, one plan into the next and into the next so that it, it, it helps you build upon your success. Exactly. So let's go into each of these in just a, a brief amount of detail. So what are you trying to learn and why? And I just use a simple sentence that says, I am learning blank so that I can blank. So I am learning MicroPython so that I can go to pool sensor that will tell me the temperature of my pool to go swimming with my kids. <laughs> and I am learning web scraping so that I can figure out student grades and assess them. <laughs> right. So, so interesting. Crazy. <laughs> it's just a simple one sentence. I am learning this so that I can do that. Okay. And, and never do we say, I am learning Python. It, as, as anybody that started to learn Python, if you say that, you automatically are, are found out that you have no idea what Python really is because if you just learn Python, it's just there's so much out there, it, you'll get lost. So you need to pick something so that you can do something. Right. Another way to do this is, um, is to pick a pro project or a problem that you want to solve and then use Python to do it, right? Um, you could choose other ways to do it, but just by saying, I want to create a pool sensor that measures the temperature of my pool and I'm going to use Python to do it, I've already started to narrow down to a more discrete, manageable um, amount of, of learning that I'm going to tackle rather than say I'm going to boil the whole, whole ocean of Python. And the next one is identifying best resources. I love this. I think um, being on Twitter and meeting the Python community has been probably the best part of learning Python, the people that we can contact, the websites that are out there, the books, there are so many books that you can just identify, uh, a lot of videos. I love bringing up videos and searching some, you know, very discrete, small concepts on YouTube in order to, to solidify my learning. And we, Sean and I both love courses. 
I currently am trying to hack through the 600 lessons of Colt Steele's Udemy course just to refresh all those. those. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, isn't it? I'm I glad someone it. else. Sean thinks I have a crush on him. <laughs> I, I totally do too. He's amazing. He is so good. Coding crush. Coding crushes are awesome. You definitely have at least one coding crush. He hasn't tweeted at me, so maybe we can get him to acknowledge He's not on Twitter. I've, I've tried to chase him down to do one of these. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, enough about Colt. But yeah, um, just going through that and I, just to see how someone else explains a Python concept really helps. Just, just helps you to solve that problem. Yeah, and I think our, our copyright uh, footer like kind of mangled this, but there's this really cool podcast, if you haven't heard of it, it's called Teaching Python. And these two people, all they do is talk about teaching and Python, and they get really geeked out about it. Um, so if you see a topic in there that might be useful, listen to that as well. It's a great resource for, <laughs> uh, for learning or teaching Python. <laughs> totally natural. I think I nailed that one. All right. yeah, totally. So another thing that Sean and I really love to do is just to sketch out things. Our classroom is whiteboard paint, whiteboard um, tables, any anything that you can can write on. We have that, and so the first thing we like to do is just to get that process out. Think about all the things that we need to learn in order to start learning that concept. And you don't need to know it. Just get it out out of your brain and onto paper, some way that you can visualize it and organize it because of the way that our brains are wired to process visual information. Having it in front of you makes a huge improvement in your ability to think through what you need to learn. And and would that be a precursor to pseudocode or or is that is that the same thing? It it could it depends on like where you're at in the process. Um, so it, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's pseudocode or, um, or even writing out comments in code, like in an editor, so that you can turn that into to regular code later. Like it's whatever works for you. So the key part is just getting it out of your head and making it real or tangible, not so much the structure of the way that you do it. Yes, and that's like the first step. That's the first step of your project. Maybe you just started to think about what you're going to learn. Maybe you have, you've been presented with a task. That's just that first brainstorm. So some people, some people draw it out. We know that at sketching, any type of writing makes a connection to your brain. So whether you are a person that likes to doodle or to flow chart or to write in that pseudocode, getting that out that first step is, is just jump starting the process. Gotcha. And remember, this, it just needs to be out. Like it doesn't need to be perfect. Perfect is the enemy of good. Right now what we're trying to do is just search for, can I get it? Can I understand it? Even if it's not completely right or I don't understand all of it, I'm writing down everything I know at this stage of the learning process. And keep in mind this is, and as you flip to the next slide, um, keep in mind this is this is that process. We are you're still learning. You're still taking your your demi courses. You're still watching your YouTube videos. As you're starting to make that connection to brain to pen, you you are identifying things that you need to continue to learn. So that's this process of reflect, connect, and identify what is it that you're still missing. Um, how can I make these connections from what I know I need to have? 
and what I'm seeing in my courses or seeing in the books. And it gives you more of a focus. It's kind of like pre-reading a book before you go in to a lecture. It's, it's setting your brain up for better learning. Um, and then, and then this is something that I think is familiar to a lot of people who are, you know, in development, developer operations, IT, infrastructure, this idea of deconstructing your problem, your learning or your ideas into smaller doable chunks, right? It's good for problem solving and it's good for learning because, you know, what we found is we analyzed the way people learn things as they um, remember things as we think about the way people just process information, your brain has a limited capacity, you know, only a certain number of memory registers to process information. So what you want to do is break that down into smaller chunks that you can process and digest and integrate back into your knowledge overall. So think of your brain as constantly rewiring itself and integrating new knowledge, new insights, new information and you can, when you take these smaller chunks and integrate it into your knowledge base in your head, you're going to, you know, start to see other pieces spider off from that and make new connections and new ideas come live and it can become very exciting and invigorating when you learn, hey, there's this new piece of Python that I didn't know, like, oh, I learned how to use classes or how object inheritance works or something like that that maybe was really difficult to learn, but as soon as you do, learn that chunk, everything else starts to update and cascade from there. So this deconstructive process is really important for being able to find something that you can learn and integrate into the rest of your knowledge. And as educators, we know that our short-term memory needs that processing. And there are a couple little hacks that you can do. Um, it's called a three-minute pause, but maybe it's a five-minute, depending on a video. Maybe you're watching a, a YouTube video that's about three and a half minutes. After that video is done, just go ahead and take a pause and think about what you just learned. And again, try to make that connection to what you learn to something that you already know. That allows that process of the short-term memory in order to, it, it allows it to enter into your long-term memory so that your short-term memory doesn't get overloaded from all this new information that's coming in. Right. So it's kind of the advice here is, you know, pace yourself, right? Don't try to cram all of it. Um, you know, cramming information into your memory is actually counterproductive. And this is something you want to, you know, make these digestible chunks of, of knowledge so that you can retain it because retention and integration is really what we're shooting for. And then the best part as you, as if, flips is just talking it out, explain it. Um, sorry, I went the other way. No, it's <laughs> just um, to talk it out. We, we constantly do this, Sean and I, I'll come back in, even if it's just for me to gloat about a new process that I've learned. The process of me talking to Sean about something I just watched helps me to work through that new knowledge. It, it helps me to fill in the gaps. And even if I can't fill in the gaps, I have someone who can kind of question the gaps for me. And that really helps you to, again, solidify that information, move it out of short-term memory and put it into that long-term memory spot that we all want to have. Right. And this is, this is one of the things that I 
you know, I guess I, I in, understood at a conceptual level before I became a teacher, but having to explain a concept or an idea or a practice to a group of students or to someone else, like reinforces and solidifies your own learning to such a degree that it was amazing to me how much, you know, better I was retaining information, how much, how much better I had learned it and understood it when I had to teach it to someone else or explain it to someone else. So this process is really valuable um, as you look into, well, who can I teach this to now to make my learning even, even stronger. And then the, the fun part, the great part is actually creating it. Um, I like going into here. I like going in here and trying to create something. Most of the time, if you look at my code, there's a lot of comments in there because that's the places where I didn't know the code or I didn't know how to write it. But I put it in there. Um, and that technique of drafting out some functions that you know you will need, because remember, you can name them whatever you want. Um, you can draft out those functions and put pass through them. And then when you learn that code, you can make that function happen. And that, that process of just getting it into an editor and starting to work on it is, is something, again, that's helping you to commit what you learned um, and process in short term and committing it to your long term memory. Right. And this is usually the part where the iteration happens, where you say, okay, now I got to this part of my code and I need to learn this other thing in order to make this happen. This is where then you may go back and say, okay, now I need to come back and, you know, create a new, maybe a smaller learning plan, or I need to research some new resources or talk it through with someone so you can spawn off other processes to learn new pieces. So this is the part where we see the most iteration happening, um, where you're not just like writing it all out, you're jumping back to other parts of the process to fill in and make the creation uh, happen. That makes sense, Chris. Yes, ma'am, it does. <laughs> and so, of course, always is a fun part. And and one of the things that I learned from PyCon a little bit was the the Get GitHub and sharing it for some feedback. Still, a scary place for for me as a, a newcomer to coding. But being able to send out your code, even if it's my little snippets, I often send out my snippets on Twitter, not because I'm I think I'm a great coder, but it's just. It's just that sharing out what I just learned in order to get some feedback, and it just helps me to learn better. You know, it was my process over the course of this year. When I first started teaching, we included projects at the end of quarter. So I, we teach on a nine-week uh, quarterly basis. So every nine weeks, we're teaching a new group of students. The first quarter, I told everyone at the end of the, the quarter, you're gonna present your project to everyone. And so I got a bunch of PowerPoint, right? I got a bunch of Google slide decks and I got a bunch of, you know, people that had drafted all these things and it wasn't really clear and I didn't really see the passion there because they got into robotic presenter mode, right? I didn't think it was possible for a sixth grader to drone on in front of PowerPoint, but I can assure you, like, it happens, right? Um, what I what I changed over the course of the year was I start, stopped calling it presentations and I started calling it demo days, right? So your demo days, when you demonstrate your product, you're demoing this to the class, show us how it works, what does it do, what did you learn? And the level of engagement and passion and, you know, like excitement and enthusiasm just went through the roof because now instead of being a boring presentation, they were sharing, here's what I made, 
here's this thing that I learned and how cool is this? And it really changed the whole dynamic of that sharing experience from presenting, which was very one way, to a more inviting sharing demonstration model that was a really cool um, transformation for our students. Right. So then you get to the end. And, right. So you get to the end and it's what, so what, now what? And there's so much more that you can do and we could probably talk for ages and so we're just gonna give you a few hacks but it's that idea of you, you spend the time, I love reflection. Metacognition is something that's really big in, in curriculum and learning. And it's that idea of thinking about what I have done and, and what am I working on and why is that important? So what, why is it important to me to learn this? And then now what? What do I wonder about? What should I do next? There's, there's always some sort of idea. If that learning objective has switched since the start of my, of my learning journey, now what am I going to focus on? And, and what can I dig into? And it's, I think it's very rare um, for people who have had a successful learning experience to get to the end of their plan and say, okay, well, that's it, I'm done. I've finished, I'm gonna step away from it now and I'm not, I'm not gonna do anything more with this. Usually when you get to the end, you have something else that you want to do that you're going to move on to. Um, it could be related, it could be a little bit of a different direction. Usually where people fall off is in the middle because they didn't have the right experience. The end part is where you have the opportunity to connect it to the next thing that you're going to learn and then and the next thing you're going to try. And part of this reflection should be not just what did I learn, but how did my learning process work? So this is the point where you look at it and say, well, did that crazy learning plan template that Kelly and Sean shared with us, did that actually help me or did it slow me down? Well, what I need to make different about it to make it work better for me. So this is the area where you should be looking at not just the, the content of your learning, but the process of your learning. The, you know, how do you learn best to make sure that you can move forward so that the next time is a better experience. You get faster, you get more effective learning, um, and it works better for you and your own personal style. Awesome. So now we have a few kind of one-off hacks, and I know we have a few minutes, so I'm going to um, Let me speed through Chris. them. <laughs> <laughs> if, we'll go. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, if you have questions that come, up, come in from the audience while we're going through here, we'd be happy to take them at any point here. These are more just our kind of ideas and tips for how to hack your learning to make it um, more effective. Um, so, so, yeah. Uh, um, one, one of the th actually actually I think this was kind of addressed um, earlier uh, with with the persistence and how, how to avoid burnout or, or falling into a slump um, I, I think I think you did speak to that earlier though well I think there's this can be a little bit different sometimes though um, because you know sometimes it's hard to feel like you're being persistent right because other things come up or you're just like I'm tired it's okay to take breaks right? It's okay to stop for a little bit and say, I'm going to set this down for a while and take care of myself. Um, you know, this is more, this is not about how many times you, you know, consistently follow through on your learning. It's about, can you keep picking it up again? Can you keep going, right? And sometimes the break might be, I need a, the night off. It might be, I need the month off, but pick it up again later, you know, put it in a parking lot where you can resume it again and give yourself the opportunity for some self-care and some time to absorb what you're learning 
we see the burnout and the you know kind of exhaustion of learning happen when people are trying to cram too much too fast and not really enjoying the experience of learning or maybe they don't have the strong connection with their learning to something that really matters to them so it's a good opportunity also to reflect and say well what's not working here maybe I need to evaluate not just my learning process, but my learning objectives or my learning goals. What's my reason why? Nice. So, okay. and, and, cool. a, and a, cool. another thing just to add on to really quick, if you just experience of learning another language, whether it's a foreign language in Spanish, it's this idea of depending on how fast you need to learn Python, it may be a, a 10 minute a day. If you can at least allot yourself 10 minutes a day to practice something, whether it's um, writing a code or watching a video and doing that exercise, you're more likely to have a more sustainable period of learning than trying to cram in an hour on a or two hours or three hours on a Sunday. That's that's actually a really really good analogy because ju just like with learning a new language, you can't you can't do seven hours on a Saturday and then expect to you know know how to speak it a week later. You have to do a little bit every day and and relearn all of that stuff over and over and over again. Or retain yeah, from one day to the next if you if you cram too much at once. Exactly. Exactly. So remember, you only have you only have a limited amount of short-term memory. So by doing the smaller chunks and and spreading and doing them consistently consistently, you're creating this learning environment for yourself. This behavior, this idea of I'm going to do this at a time. It's kind of like we're going to the gym. You you tell yourself you're going to go. Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and you need to do it, you stick to it, otherwise you don't see the results. So, same thing. Right, yeah, and, and I would also say the, the other thing that helps me personally with burnout, and I try to help Kelly with this too, and I can sense that she's like, feeling a little bit tired or frustrated. If you're like on a big hike, or you're climbing a mountain or something like that, and all you're doing is looking up at all you have left to climb, it's pretty easy to feel exhausted and tired and burnt out you got to stop and enjoy the view and look at how far you've come too, right? You have to recognize that, wow, I've accomplished a lot here and look at all of the, the world around me that's opened up because of this learning that I've done. So make sure that you're taking time to acknowledge your own success along the way, because that is a great tool for preventing burnout and exhaustion. That's great advice. And I think Here's we just skipped through real quick through some of that we talked about connections a lot it's something that we we cannot stress a, uh, enough um, making some connections whether for me it's writing codes constant comments in my code in order to like have a memory some sort of analogy or joke that helps remember what was being said um, I do a lot of variables very long variables I will never share that um, that code out to anyone because most of my variables are pertinent to me so this that I remember my variable how... named Steve what yes <laughs> <laughs> most of them are named Colton cats no I'm just kidding oh. so it's just something that all oh, that helps me to remember what I was learning and and that's what some people need in order to make those connections. Do you wanna flip those real quick? Yep. Um, this is one that is really important to me, which is create reinforcement loops for your learning. So shorten the distance between your effort and your results, make it tangible. So if you're working on something that's gonna see two weeks to pay off, 
that you know delayed gratification is good and we need those for the big things but when it comes to your learning remember that we're basically you know pavlovian animals right we want to get hear the bell ring and get that treat and so your treat should be something that's tangible and short so you know this is a little like micro or micro bit robot that some of my students built and started coding I love physical computing hardware. So Python, you can get hardware now and you can code on it, lights light up and sounds and everything and code it to button presses. That is fantastic for learning because you see immediate, tangible, tactile results. When I click this button, the, the light lights up because I coded that, right? So that short, fast iteration with clear, tangible results is a lot better than complex, delayed gratification. And then also build in some testing into it. How do I know that it worked, right? So that you can like build on reliable learning experiences. Um, this this is one that I both feel strongly about. So Kelly, I'll let you go through this. So this is just re going back into um, creating that learning environment. One of the tidbits is, you know, you have 24 hours in a day. If you can highlight where you learn or where you have time to learn, that's gonna allow you to, to set up those 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day, how much you're willing to give. And then also kind of coincide that, map it out with when you learn best. Daniel Pink has produced a book that's called When, and it's this idea that we all have two loops in our day or two peaks in our day when we actually can learn best. Mine's at 5 a.m., everyone freaks out when I tell them. So I can get up at 5 a.m., I'm straight into coding for 45 minutes, and I get a lot of learning happening at that. We then have this you know, trough where we get into, and it's not until the later part of the afternoon where we have a second peak, but not as strong as that first peak. So if you can chart out where your peaks are with your available time and pick that 70%, you know, 70% or better time peak, you're going to have a better production of learning and yeah, that's something that we highly and, and for Sean he loves <laughs> and Sean loves drinking coffee and that's his stimulus <laughs> well it comes like down that. to that remember that this can be multi-sensory right so it's not just the time and the place like for me it's that having that hot cup of coffee it's the warmth it's the smell it's the taste of it the feel of it in my hand and that's a direct signal to my brain that I'm going to do some learning and that's my favorite time to learn. And so I learn better when I've got that cup of coffee next to me. So unless I want to be up until three o'clock in the morning, it generally means my best time for learning is in the morning um, when I have that coffee. And the next funny, the next one is talking to yourself. is not weird. Although we just tend to talk to ourselves when each other are in the other room. I'm like, don't answer me. I'm just talking this out. And, and it, you know, if you have kids, you can just talk to them. My kids constantly knew Michael Kennedy's name for the, about the first seven months of my <laughs> learning Python. And they were just like, are you talking to Michael? Or are you talking to us? I'm like, I'm talking to you. Michael doesn't answer back. So just have that, that idea of talking about the problem and <laughs> helps you get that understanding. Because if you can talk it out, you're going to find out where your errors are. Does, does he, did, did you talk to him about PyCon? Does he know that you do that? Yes, I actually, he, he did FaceTime with my son, and then my sons were, were completely confused why he had glasses, because they didn't picture him, his voice, they didn't think that he would be wearing glasses, so it was quite funny time, um, 
It was a good moment. My kids were like, you're with Michael Kennedy? (laughs) (laughs) He's famous around here. He's so famous. We listen to him every day in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's the same thing with the visual learning. So you may also find that, you know, talking out a problem is more effective for you than writing it out. This is, you know, try it, experiment with it, see which works best for you. But this is something that we've seen both with ourselves and with our students works well for them to fill in the gaps and reinforce the learning. Yeah, but one of their favorite thing is the outcome is not what I perceived or the outcome is not what I expected when the kids have a problem and they have to explain what they were expecting. And if you if you can explain what you were expecting to come out with your code, you're you're a little bit closer to figuring out what code to write. And I think we covered that a lot with chunking. I'm not yep. sure we need to say much more about that, just chunky learning. Chunking learning. So reflection. So we talked about the power of reflection. So we're going to reflect on what we learned tonight. Um, <laughs> so, so one, and reflecting is not just regurgitation, but we're going we're gonna to say it real quick in order to just give us some time. Right. So. So let's reflect a little bit, and we're going to involve our, our hosts a little bit also. <laughs> so learning is different for everyone. So Joe, Chris, are there some things in this that you saw that you would take away and say, yeah, that's definitely me? Or, and are there some things that you saw from this and said, oh, that's really not my learning style, or I don't think that's going to work for me, but maybe I'll give it a try? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean I've, I've been furiously taking notes on, on all of this stuff because I've, I've been – as you guys know, I've, I've been doing this and, and trying to, you know, cram as much. I'm not going to say Python into my head because now that's a bad, bad word because of the Mad Libs that we're doing. Um, but, uh, but you know, learning the different aspects of of Python to to help improve myself. But, you know, learning about metacognition and and, and the pedagogy, the, the learning about learning, is is definitely going to help me to uh, become more efficient at this. Nice. And how about you, Joe? Absolutely. Um, you know, myself, I, I, every time I write down ideas, um, even if it's not stuff that's code, you know, one of the ways that I can try and make sure that it actually makes sense is to just actually type it all out and then have it read back to me with like speech to text, you know, uh, or uh, text to speech, just to kind of go through that whole process and say, okay, when it's, when it's flowing all together, does this actually make sense? Um, and, and I, I kind of have to do something similar for the, uh, the eight step template to learning. Uh, and, and definitely chunking stuff out because I, for me, I even just get so distracted that I have to have little small defined goals where I can say, okay, as long as I can push myself to accomplish this, then I can put it out of my mind and I'm okay with, with setting it here and forgetting it for a little while to kind of go back to the rest of life and then come pick it up later. Nice. Nice. I, I really like that. I didn't think about using the text to speech, but I think that's a really great, um, a great way to think about it. Um, and I, I'm going to try that out myself. I think that's a, a really uh, unique way to kind of transfer that that knowledge into a different format and see if it still holds together. So I really yeah. like that. Idea. I, I have to hear it in it's also something really, that's not my internal voice, you know. Right, right. It's also really good for reading articles, too. I'm not sure if you've used that, where you can oh, yeah. have the articles read to you. It's, it's processes, allows you to process the, the reading a lot faster as well. The other thing I want to jump ahead to is the, you know, don't let life, don't let your life be an excuse. It's an asset, right? And we've talked about making those connections to your learning and the why it matters um, to make your learning more powerful, right? So make your life part of your learning 
and accept that it's going to have some some flexibility it's going to flow it's going to be challenging it's going to get easier but your life is an asset your life experience and what you know and what you can connect your learning to and your reason for learning are all really important for you as a learner so don't lose sight of that don't let your life become an excuse and say oh i've got too much to do or, i can't learn this or there's too many distractions or whatever like brush that away and make it part of your learning right and that that's something that i think we should reflect on as you as you're you know walking away from this how can i make my life part of my learning and make my learning enhance and improve my life yeah wasn't there a saying no excuses it's not like a nike yeah, i know but it's like that's just like a, a <laughs> no excuses yeah, kind of a, <laughs> no excuses chris i want to see 10 minutes a day <laughs> <laughs> I have homework on Friday. Oh, no. <laughs> and then our ask to you, the last thing that we ask for you, and this is where, you know, social media, Twitter um, comes into play. What are some other ways to hack your learning? We, again, are not the, you know, the sole source of knowledge and, and understanding about how to learn best. We love hearing about new ideas and new ways of learning. So if you've got something you're like, hey, this is really cool and it works for me, like, I like to type all my notes out and then have the computer read it back to me. Share that with us because that stuff is really cool and it gets us excited and, and helps other people learn better also. And then we take it and use it in class during the next school year. So it always, <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. That's a great feedback loop. I, I actually use the, uh, the Pomodoro technique um, where, where you take 25 minutes and then five minute break and then 25 minutes of learning and then five minute break. Yep, and you know why you're doing that, right? Do, do I know why I'm doing that? Um, mm -hmm. th according to the article, it was because that's, that's the, amount of time, the amount of time that your brain can, can most effectively learn a piece of information, and then you need a five-minute break to like, let it rest and let it soak in. Exactly. You need to let it, you need that process movement from short term to the long term. And you need that process of forgetting, that emptying out what's there. So that's what that five minutes is for. Very good. So, yeah, so, so that, that seems to work well for me. Great. Excellent. Cool. All right. So just here's what we covered, right? So I'm a I'm a strong believer in that. Tell the people what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. So here's what we covered. I'll read. Let's see. Learning as an adult. Um, we went over our teaching and learning philosophy. I think everyone has to have a philosophy on how they're going to learn. We have an eight steps. It's it's not a it's not a linear process, but it is a cyclical um, process. And pretty much you, you ad lib it as you go. If you need to research more, you go back and research. There are tons of learning hacks. We just gave you a few of them. And if anything, always take that moment, those five minutes, those three minutes to pause, to reflect, to really consciously think about what you just learned and, and ask yourself, now what am I going to do with this information? Very cool. So if you want to continue the conversation with Kelly and I, um, our, you know, we're on Twitter constantly, um, and we love to hear from, from people in the world, so please reach out to us. Um, we are hosting our podcast on an almost weekly basis. Um, we're taking a little bit slower over the summer um, to, to recharge our own batteries, but we are um, podcasting on a regular basis about learning, teaching, and doing Python. Um, so you can always catch us there. And then lastly, if you want um, to speak with Kelly and I about, you know, how to bring better learning to you or to your organization, 
you know, please contact us through our website, which is teachingpython.fm. Um, we're happy to speak to your organization about learning methods, learning styles, how to supercharge your learning methods, and also how to create a culture of learning. It's important to create the right environment and culture for learning at a company or at an organization. And we have been in enough places now, enough schools and environments where we've got some pretty good methods that have been proven to work in the past and in other organizations that can help bring some tangible benefits to you and your organization. Very cool. And um, we will have all of those links um, as, as well as the, um, the links mentioned in, the, in, the, lear in the, um, the type of learning stuff in the, in the show notes as well for everybody that's watching this on YouTube right now. And we'll post out those, that template as soon as I proofread. I tend to write everything fast and then use my, my speech to text to check everything. And then Sean. <laughs> awesome. All right. Any, any last questions that came in from the audience, Chris, that we can cover? Uh, no. Uh, we, we, asked, we asked them as, as they were coming in. Joe, do you see any? Nope. Or do you have any? Okay. Cool. Right. Awesome. And, and that's actually uh, perfect timing. Exactly. Well, one hour and six minutes. Close enough. <laughs> Almost like we planned it. <laughs> cool. Well, um, folks, thank you very much. This this was this was fantastic. This this was um, it wasn't it wasn't the the classic V Brown bag in in that it wasn't like like technical, but this was super super informative. Really, a, a lot of great material for for um for the for those of us that are trying to like you know become more efficient and more effective at learning and the and the whys and wherefores of it and we learned some new big words too so all all around fantastic thank you very much thank well, you Chris. thank you thank you, thank cool. you and um uh thank you everybody for for attending tonight and we'll see you again next week <laughs>